Hello, welcome to With Beyond Measure. My name's Katrina Mayer. And I'm Al Kammerer. And today we're talking about the 2020 Emma film. Yay! Yay! But before we get into that, this episode is brought to you by Kensington's newest title from Sabrina Jeffries, Undercover Duke. Sabrina Jeffries, author of more than 50 books, is back again with the fourth book in her four-part Duke Dynasty series. Undercover Duke is a historical romance mystery guaranteed to be a page-turner. Think Bridgerton meets Unsolved Mysteries. When Sheridan Wolfe, the Duke of Armitage, sets his mind to solving the strange and mysterious deaths of his mother's three husbands... Falling in love is the last thing he should be doing. But enter Vanessa Pride, the scintillating daughter of one of those suspects. The Duke is determined to protect his previously broken heart from a potential social climbing partner. And besides, it would seem that Vanessa has all of her attention on another in the form of a handsome and mischievous playwright. But this attraction like her potential Beau's work, is all just theatrics, and she actually has her sights set a bit higher. Surely a little scheme is just the thing to get the Duke's attention and break through the barrier around his heart. Now, if you're a fan of Bridgerton, which, I mean, come on, aren't we all at this point, you will definitely enjoy this witty, smart, and very sexy love story that even the great Jane Austen wouldn't be able to put down. You can find Undercover Duke by Sabrina Jeffries wherever books are sold. Find out more at kensingtonbooks.com. And we all love a really good historical romance book now, don't we? Oh, yes. (laughs) Especially when they start getting fun little, like, accurate historical touches that you love. Like... The 2020 version of Emma that we're going to talk about. Look at that smooth transition. (laughs) I'm really good at these. (laughs) And I'm just going to just jump right on into this because one of the things that I absolutely loved about this adaptation were those small, really cool, like historical things. Most importantly, the male dressing scenes that we get. We never get male dressing scenes in... Uh, movies so love those little historical touches (laughs) but yeah we're talking about emma 2020 which sounds like that's the title of the book emma 2020 but it's not (laughs) it's just emma (laughs) it's just emma but it's the 2020 version with anya taylor joy and johnny flynn mia goth uh, josh o'connor and of course the one and only (gasps) Bill Nye, <laughs> which I never know if I'm saying his name correctly, but I don't care because I just love him so freaking much. That is so much. <laughs> I didn't know he was in this movie. So when he ju- he makes his entrance, jumping down that stairs and like doing that Bill Nye strut that only he can do, I was like, oh, I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> she was so in that I believe she actually put, I didn't know BH was in this movie. Yeah, which <laughs> auto-corrected. It auto-corrected at the end. Uh-huh. But yeah, I'm so okay. excited. So excited, so excited. 
It was so good. He was so good. Can I, let's just, because we're right here, let's just super quick talk about how amazing he was. He had very little lines, but he doesn't need lines because his face and his movements and everything about him is just so perfect all the time that he was great. He was so great. I'm going to stop her a little bit of a rant here and just say, he plays Mr. Woodhouse. Bill Nye plays Mr. Woodhouse, and we all know that we've all had issues with Mr. Woodhouse, and that he's just complain, 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 complain. Uh, the things that annoyed us in the book reading it were definitely not an issue in this adaptation because of Bill Nye and his performance. And I think the fact that this book, or this book, this adaptation had so much, like, comedy built into it, just, like, cooked <laughs> right on in. There it is. Because, like, all those, like, little rants and stuff, Bill Nye, just with his face and the way he... He, he delivered the lines and like his actions were just hilarious. Like at one point he and Emma are sitting at the table for breakfast and it's just him and her and the two servants <laughs> uh, who aren't in the book, but they're there and it's just amazing. And they're talking and Emma's all like, Oh, serious moment. Let's talk about this. And he jumps up from his chair and is like, do you feel a draft? <laughs> and then the, the servants are like looking for a draft and he's like, I felt a draft. I felt a draft. And then they like, couldn't find one. So he sits back down. He's like, Miss Taylor would have felt it. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. It was so good. Like, the, like all he did was like, do you feel that draft? There's a draft. I can feel a draft. Like, that's the whole, like, every time you see him, it was just about drafts. And it was so great. Oh, it was so good. Having and- them move the screens yes, around. I loved it. Not that one, that one. <laughs> he has like a fortress of screens. And he's just like, like. The best part of this whole movie for me, and I'm probably going to say that a lot, but this really was my favorite part, was Emma and Knightley are arguing in one room and they're talking and they're very angry. And then Emma storms out and she walks past her father. And then Mr. Knightley walks past Mr. Woodhouse. And Mr. Woodhouse is sitting in a room with a book reading, just like completely surrounded by screens. You see like the top (laughs) half of his face and that's it. And the book. (laughs) And the book. (laughs) And I'm just like... Well, now I know what I want to be when I grow up. Yep, that's that's exactly it. Oh, and I loved at when they're all having dinner. You know, everybody is over. The Bateses are over there, and he like looks at Mrs. Bates and he's like, "Oh, don't have that. Have this." And he like does a laugh with his like Bill Nye snort. You know, uh-huh. he always does that snort in every single thing that he's in, and he wove it into Emma, and I was like, "Yes." so good but his his entrance really is just the best his entrance like you have good. this you have this the you have Hartfields, and you just hear poor miss taylor and then he jumps down off the stairs and is just like strutting he's just like if only mr weston had never taken notice of her and it's just like oh no i love you it's so good it almost felt like that entrance and i'm not saying he was like this in the rest of the movie but that entrance just that one part felt like when he's in love, actually, and he's, like, the rock guy, and he, like, does a uh-huh. strut, and I was like, there he is. Also, so we all know that Mr. Woodhouse has an issue with cake. <laughs> cake is the true villain of this film, and by film, I mean book. Cake is the true villain of this book. We all know this. And uh this movie it acknowledges cake in an in interesting way. Um, Not only is there cake everywhere it's all the time. It's literally everywhere all the time. All the time. But also, um, in the wedding dinner scene, Emma sits down and then we just see her like looking at everybody across the table and she sees her father sitting across from her and he's there and in front of him is a giant cake and he's just like 
looking at it. <laughs> and that's just it. And it's just his facial expression, just like looking at this cake, like this is the worst possible thing. And it's just right in front of him, just taunting him. And it's just like, it's the subtle things. Cause you wouldn't, like if you hadn't read Emma and you hadn't heard us talk about cake in this way, that probably wouldn't have like been nearly as funny. <laughs> This is great. And I love this scene with him, too, where it's Mrs. Mr. and Mrs. Elton, and, like, she's going on and on. He's just, like, staring at her with his mouth open, and the servant takes his teacup yeah. out of his hand, and he's just like, the fuck? Yeah. Uh, everything about him was great. Um, we won't gush this whole episode about <laughs> Phil Nye, which, I mean, I totally could, but I guess we should probably talk about some other things. Maybe? Maybe? Yeah. Okay. Well, so... The story in the adaptation obviously is the same story as the book. Mm -hmm. The difference is, is that this adaptation tells the story in a great way because it cuts <laughs> out a lot of the nonsense that we have in the book. Like, we don't have Frank Churchill coming and going and coming and going and the ball being put off and blah, 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 and all of the stuff. We don't have a whole chapter where we stand around at Randall's and talk about how the the rooms don't work. Instead, they just go to the crown. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there's a lot that was cut for the adaptation and it still works perfectly. Like yeah. I know that some people have issues with what was cut from Pride and Prejudice in order to make a film and how certain things kind of got lost, you know, and like we don't get a lot of the same interactions you get in the book between Darcy and Elizabeth. But in Emma, I feel like the things that were cut weren't necessarily as important to the overall story. And I still feel like we got the same relationships with everybody with the exception of Frank Churchill yes! and Jane. Yes. We don't see that tension no! because that whole word game isn't there. And I was really disappointed in that because I really wanted to see that. Well, I just feel like in general, if you didn't know the story, you would have no idea. Like at the end where Mrs. Weston is telling Emma that they're engaged and she's like, what? If I had never read that story, I would also be like, what? Because he sent the piano for This is. Yes. Yes, he did. <laughs> and I'd be like, okay, I guess. Why? Okay, I guess. Like you, you, yeah. I don't think if you knew the story, you would get that because mm -mm. they're never really around each other. And I know that's purposeful, but like, there's no tension between them. Well, and she has so very little lines. And I know. She doesn't talk a lot in the book, but you know a lot about her. And, like, she also doesn't seem to be around nearly as much no. either. Like, I was looking for, like, a nice photo of her to use on our Instagram for something. And I actually had a really hard time finding a picture of Jane Fairfax. Because she's just not in the film nearly as enough. Like, we don't have Frank and her flirting over the pianoforte. We don't have them, like, talking at dinner. We don't have that flub on Frank when they're walking up to Hartfield and we don't have that game. And those are all of the things that kind of build up this, this tension between them and the, I want to say suspense, but that's not the right word. The speculation that the readers get that, hmm, maybe there is something going on between Frank and Jane. Yeah. So we don't really get that a lot. Yeah. Uh, but there is definitely a lot more flirting between Frank and Emma in the film than there is necessarily in the book. Really? Or at the very least, being able to see it feels a little bit more like they're flirting more. I guess, like, yeah, I could see that in some parts, but not enough. And I, I, I mean more from Emma's 
from Emma. Like Frank is flirting the same way, I think, in both ways. But Emma, we see her flirting more in the film than in the book. Yeah. Okay. I would agree with that. Like she flirts back and it does seem like she's like more into him at the beginning than she would be at the beginning of the book. But also just like thinking about Jane Fairfax and Frank Churchill, like together as characters that are supposed to be like drawn to each other. We didn't really get that. But then even separately, like I know we say Jane Fairfax isn't in the movie too much, but like the points where she is, we get the idea that she's super accomplished. She's better at the Mm -hmm. piano than Emma. We get the competition Mm -hmm. between her and Emma. That part is driven. And I think she played Jane Fairfax really well. And I think all the characters really played their parts really well mm-hmm. with the exception of Frank Churchill. He wasn't what I want. He wasn't. I didn't, I didn't believe it. I didn't buy it. I didn't buy that he was Frank Churchill. For one, he looked just like Elton to the point where I thought they were twins. I think that that's your problem because I disagree with that. I think that Frank was played how Frank is played. Um, or how Frank is. I think that you were just too stuck on the fact that he looked like Elton. No, not a, it's not even just that he looked like Elton. Like, that was, like, my one thing where I was like, that's kind of weird. They look the same. But also, and I've watched it twice. I, wa- I watched it last night, and then I watched it again this morning. And I'm like, he's not, he's not as, like, outgoing and, like, flamboyant and in people's faces as he is in the book. Like, the end when they're at Box Hill, that's where I believed he was Frank Churchill. But everything mm. prior to that, I didn't buy it. I didn't buy it. Okay. Okay. Well, so I think that I think that maybe that comes from the fact that we didn't get those scenes I was talking about before. Maybe. Because if we saw him like kind of flirting and talking about like the the sheet music and the Dixons and uh Weymouth and everything with Jane playing at the piano and him and Emma kind of having that back and forth then maybe I could see that. Or even him and Emma having that back and forth playing the card game. I think that maybe that's what it is. Is that, like, not only did we not see him and Jane kind of being a thing throughout the story, like we do in the book, but also we don't see that friendship really building between him and Emma. Yeah. It starts off as kind of a, oh, well, Emma seems a little obsessed with this guy she's never met, which she has a good reasoning. She actually flat out says, well, no, I'm pre- I'm prejudiced for him being a good person because I love the West Ends. And this is important to them. So she does have a, a good explanation for that. But then she like very clearly is just like, ooh, Frank, let me kind of be a little flirty, blah, blah, blah. And then when she thinks that Harriet is in love with Frank, it all kind of shifts. And it's very much Emma driving that potential relationship in a way even if she isn't doing it as hard as she was with elton yeah but it it doesn't feel like she's friends with frank yeah it's kind of more that she's still just kind of putting up with him and she's thinking in the back of her head oh harriet 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 but she doesn't feel like she would be friends like that that scene in the end of the book when they're all like when her and frank and mr knightley and jane are all together and uh well, everybody's together, but Frank and Emma kind of step aside and start talking about, like, their friends and the people around them. They seem to be very friendly. That wasn't there. Yeah. I don't know. Same with same with Jane. Like, that that that, that semi-bonding uh, friendship with Jane isn't there either. I actually really don't like how they painted Emma and Jane. 
in the film compared to the books because in the books yes Emma has this like rivalry with Jane but we never really feel it from Jane's point of view like that Jane feels like she needs to show up Emma she's just kind of there and dealing with the situation that she's in whereas in the film it very clearly feels like Jane is like oh well look at me I'm so much better than you like at the piano scene after Emma's done playing and Emma's like oh I'm sorry you don't have your sheet music and Jane's like oh I just hope I can remember the song. And then she does like this brilliant thing that to me just read like mean girls. I don't know. I thought that was kind of funny. And like, yeah, you're right. It's not the same as in the book, but I don't, because we don't really get the whole Frank Jane stuff and we don't get the whole Jane Emma stuff. Like, I think we're just supposed to feel like they're in competition with each other. I don't think for the movie their purpose was, like, to show growth between them, you know? Yeah. They were more focused on, like, the growth between her and Harriet, Emma and Harriet. Yeah, which there's was a lot awesome. more growth. Yeah, that, that there was a lot more growth there than there is in the books. Yeah. So, but um, yeah, I do think that Jane and Emma's relationship was supposed to be just catty girls. Like, yeah, for sure. Competing against each other. Yeah. But, yeah, and I, I do think that the film does a really good, a really good job showing emma and harriet being friends and being good friends yeah like the when harriet's gonna throw the the image in the fire emma's like no like at least let me keep that as a picture of my friend yeah but go ahead and throw the frame though because that shit was so ugly like it just made me so mad so the scene where elton is like unveiling it and like he's all excited to show them they're like what (laughs) i just like I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if you've had this experience out or anybody else out there, but it just felt like that's such a man thing. Like when he's all excited to do something for girls and it's like a task that is probably like getting something for them that will like be like quote unquote feminine in style maybe. And you just like go gaudy and ornate and like not at all probably what a woman wants that's what it felt like i've 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 been in those situations and like it felt like that where and you have to be like great and inside you're like this is so ugly yeah yeah i usually don't get that from like uh like boyfriends or like my husband or anything like that that kind of makes it sound like I have both a husband and boyfriends. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I only have husbands. <laughs> but uh, I get that from like male family members when it comes to presents. And I sometimes get it from my older female family members when I get presents too. Yes. I feel like in the past I've gotten stuff from like aunts and uncles that are just like, oh, here you go. Look at how lovely this is. And it's just like, really ugly and gaudy and not my style and also sometimes not something i would ever use yes because like when you think about the drawing that emma made it was like it's very pretty but it was like simple it wasn't like Mm -hmm. you know a big ornate painting like so many things it was just like a simple watercolor essentially is what it looked like and it didn't need this like music box frame with French doors. Does, does anything need that? I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> I mean, Not I have that. pretty awesome. I have some pretty awesome artwork 
just in general. And I would never frame anything in something that you open and there's music. And like, if we're thinking like modern day stuff, there would be like lights or something. Like I would never do that. And I have some really awesome artwork. Thank you very much. So yeah, no, I know. It's just, it's crazy. Him, just Elton, just, can I talk about really quick how Elton was essentially like the evil dad from Despicable Me? Or like the guy from Despicable Me, <laughs> like. Well, let, hang on. Let's go, let's, okay. let's let's go back. We'll get to Elton because there is a scene I want to talk about. But uh, I think we want to talk more about Harriet and Emma's relationship because there was something I wanted to say. Okay. Because again, like one of the things with this film adaptation is that we really see them being friends, and I feel like at the end, even though they're going to have this like societal disparity. We know in the book, Emma's pretty much like, oh, well, I'm not really going to be able to be friends with Harry anymore. I didn't get that at all from from this. Me either. At all. Yeah, same. No, they are going to be BFFs, especially when Emma's like, oh, you found out who your father was and he's coming to visit. You better bring him to Hartfield. Yeah. And he's just like a merchant from Bristol. And I'm just like, aw, like this, this feels like a good friendship. Yeah. And I'm, I actually prefer that over what happens in the book. Me too. I loved so. all the scenes where they're like, when she like, it's before the ball and they're in mm-hmm. her room, she's spending the night and you know, she, they have their hair wrapped up ready mm-hmm. in curls and they're like practicing dancing with each other. And she's like, no, 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 you be Weston. And so she like does her thing where she like comes over and like, yeah, it's just yep. cute. They're like play acting yeah. with each other and like dancing with each other and it's adorable and yeah it was very sleepover yeah and it was adorable and i loved it me too me too so i really really love emma and harriet in this adaptation so much um i really did not like the uh the mrs goddard schoolgirls walking through town with their red cloaks I'm sorry. So handmade. Yeah, tale. you went handmade. So and when I read that, I was like, oh, I see it now. But I went Madeline. Like, okay, I think that might have been what they were going for. Yeah. But with the red, it just screamed handmade tail. Had it been any other color, it would have been different. But it was the red. And I'm just like, nope, nope. <laughs> and the fact that they were like, I think at, at some point they were walking two by two. Yeah. And I'm just like, Ugh. but no, I, I, I did get the Madeline feel. Yeah, I totally got that. It was really but cute. The red, and I love all the yeah. scenes with the schoolgirls, and especially the one where she's coming to visit Harriet after finding out that Elton, you know, doesn't like her, mm, and they're playing that, that game. game. And like, yeah. Reg- I called it Regency Jenga because I don't know what it is, but I mean, that's kind of what it was. Yeah. yeah, you would like cut the sand, and then whoever got the thing to fall, you had to like get it with your mouth. That was freaking adorable. And so Harriet's all covered with flour, and turns around, and Emma's like. <laughs> What's happening here? What is this? And then she has never played that game. No, but then she has to have this serious conversation with Harriet about Elton, and she's still covered in flowers. (laughs) I loved it. I loved it so much. I loved Harriet. I loved how that actress played Harriet so much. She did so perfect. Like her excitement at the beginning when she sees Mr. Martin, and she's like, (gasps) and like mouth drops open. She's like. My crush. Hold on, and she like runs over, just like so good. And when she has to decide, like whether or not to accept his proposal, that was just so well done. And even Emma in that point too, where she's just like, "I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to say anything." And then like Harriet's like, 
I'm probably, yep, I'm definitely maybe going to do this. And Emma's just like, whoop do okay. <laughs> but I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> I have almost completely, almost made up my mind. Almost. Yep. Almost. <laughs> yep. This is, this is what I sound like when trying to decide what to have for mm-hmm. dinner. I've almost yep. decided. Almost. Yep. That's totally me, too. <laughs> I will say the same thing. But you posted it before me. Somehow you managed to get ahead of me in the movie. I don't know how that happens. But yeah, as soon as you posted that, I'm like, well, I don't have to post it. <laughs> so good. So good. Yeah. Well, so Mia Goth did a great job with Harriet, but Anya Taylor-Joy, oh my god. Like, I watched her in The Queen's Gambit, and I loved Queen's Gambit. Mm-hmm. And I thought that, you know, she did a really good job, like, Facial expressions on point. Holy crap. This movie, her facial expressions are so on point. Like, like, can you win an Oscar for just facial expressions? No, no. Because she needs to. Can you win an Oscar for just an eye roll? Because, like, that eye roll with Knightley when they're, Uh like, in the evening at Hartfield... (laughs) It's so good. Don't compliment me in front of him because he thinks that I'm vain. Oh, you're not vain because you don't consider your, or you don't look at your looks that much, but you're in vain in other ways. Oscar winning eye roll. Eye roll. Taylor Joy. Okay. <laughs> oh, also her expressions with Elton in the carriage. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Like when he is confessing his love to her, she's just like, uh, so, no. So uncomfortable. So and uncomfortable. Then, like, when he leaves the carriage, her she's just like sitting there straight up and she's just like, ugh, like, get the hell out of my carriage, you whiny little fuckboy. <laughs> like, oh my god. <laughs> and just her reactions to things. Like when Mrs. Elton was calling Nightly Nightly. Yeah. Like, she's just like, what? Wait, what? What? <laughs> and then like it cuts back to Mrs. Elton and she says something else and it cuts back to Emma and she's just still like, what? Wait, what? And Harriet's just like sitting there, like smiling, sipping her tea. And Emma's like having an existential crisis sitting next to her. No. My favorite facial expression is when Isabella is there with all of her kids. She's holding the baby and just like deadpan face. And I'm like, that's me. That's what I look like when I hold a baby. She's like... Oh, I'm so bored right now. Uh. Then, but then it's like kind of cute because Knightley comes over and like they're like interacting with each other and the baby and it's really adorable. And then the baby farts and pukes at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, <laughs> that whole scene is funny. That whole that whole scene is funny. And I know Isabella was very different in the movie than she's portrayed uh-huh. in the book. And like I didn't hate it. So I was, is, I was, so it was is John fine. Knightley. So is John. Both of them are very different. Like Isabella is very clearly her her father's daughter. Like they're both like like when the baby farts and pukes, she's like, oh my god, what's wrong? What's, what's wrong? Call Mary. Call Mary. And it's like it's a baby. It's a baby. <laughs> and that's pretty much what John Knightley's face is like. It's like uh, it's a shot. Like what? Like it's very clear that he is not happy in his relationship in this film and it's just like every time Isabella says something his face is just like oh my freaking god what I love that you can hear them arguing in the carriage it's like (laughs) I am not getting out of the carriage to get his like binky or whatever it is he needs it's like I'm not getting out of this car to retrieve that stuffed animal like that's (laughs) what I'm just like this is so good I really I liked those little bits I know they weren't in the movie Mm -hmm. a ton and like they were portrayed a bit differently but I really (laughs) I just thought they were so so entertaining. Well, 
So shout out to uh, John Knightley and the actor who played him because at the wedding, oh my gosh. Yeah. Like the fact that Isabella and Mr. Uh, Woodhouse are both like, well, Mr. Woodhouse is just like, oh, oh no, I've lost both of my daughters to those, those damn Knightley boys. Isabella is just like, oh, okay, fine. I guess we're here. And Mr. John Knightley is just like, <laughs> get my tissues. So <laughs> and Isabella is just looking at him like seriously. And she's just like, <laughs> I know. It's the best. It's so funny. I freaking love that. <laughs> With the exception of that scene, like earlier when we meet him, he felt very much like Hugh Laurie in Sense and Sensibility, which I also mentioned last night. And Hugh Laurie kind of has that, for those of you who haven't seen it, he has that like exasperated look of a man who's mm-hmm. like what have i gotten myself into and mm-hmm. like you get the scene with Hugh Laurie and his baby and he's like uh and like that's kind of what it felt like I, I, yeah like john knightley in this adaptation was very much like i made a terrible mistake <laughs> <laughs> yes. and now i'm stuck with it he was less like Ugh, I just want to sit at home by myself and don't want to talk to people. And like, I totally get that. Like, that's, that's a whole mood, Mr. John Knightley. He wasn't that Mr. John Knightley. This one, he was just like, oh my God, what the fuck have I done? I mean, he has five children essentially under the age of seven in the movie mm-hmm. version. There's and no child over seven years old in his And a wife who's care. crazy. Yeah. And a wife who's crazy. <laughs> Honestly, your baby, your baby pooped their pants, and you're calling the doctor. Okay, but she grew up with a father who was like kind of like hypochondriac yeah, a bit. Yeah, so yeah. like, and she also has five children under the age of seven, so she's very stressed as well. So I don't fault her too harshly, but he just has the look of a man like who's very tired and doesn't know what happened. He doesn't know how he got here. He's just like, no. how did we're at Hartfield? What does this happen? <laughs> so um i know i posted this last night but i'm not gonna lie guys the scene where they're at randall's at dinner and mr elton is being a fucking creeper uh when he's like oh it's gonna snow tonight and everybody freaks the f out not gonna lie Every single time the weather calls for snow in tennessee that is exactly what everybody does we all pause think for a moment and go Crap! And we all get up and like, <laughs> we gotta get our bread, we gotta get our water, we gotta put our cars in, we gotta like prepare to be stuck inside for, I think this last time it was like a week because nobody plows, nobody has salt, nobody shovels, nothing. This is, it's, it's a full on shutdown in the south when it snows. And that is exactly how people react. <laughs> so now I'm from Chicago, so I'm used to like dealing with snow. That's not a thing here in Tennessee. <laughs> that is not a thing. <laughs> uh, I love the Christmas scene. You just get the vibe that Elton just wants to be a part of the conversation and he can't. And then when he finally does, he kills the party. Yeah. Well, especially because like, so Elton, I think, I think the guy who played him played him very well. I think that he did a very good job. The only problem that I had is that I've watched all of The Crown and he plays Prince Charles and who's also a whiny little brat. So <laughs> I was watching Elton and I just kept seeing Prince Charles from The Crown, especially in the carriage scene. Yeah. Like, yeah. So that was really hard for me to like separate 
but yeah elton in this adaptation is very much like the book like from the very beginning at the wedding when he's just standing there with his eyes closed and then he like peeks his eye open like making sure that everybody's doing what they're supposed to be doing it's just like okay now i this this is a wedding but i am the one who should be center i am the person everybody should be focusing on and it's just like he the actor who played him he reminded me in looks and like in a little bit like voice and mannerisms of the guy who did elton and clueless it's been so long. Yeah. We can have this conversation when we watch Oh, no. <laughs> we will, for sure, for sure. But I just wanted to, like, point that out now. Like, I, like what the first moment he came on screen at the beginning, I was like, oh, you kind of look like the clueless Elton actor. And then he started talking. I'm like, you kind of sound like him. It's like, <laughs> all right, I buy it. I buy it. I'm yeah. in it. I'm into it. Well, when he and Emma and Harriet are all interacting, like, watching it, unfold it's very clear that he is into emma Mm -hmm. like in the book maybe you could kind of maybe not see it as much but in this it's very much like he is looking at emma he doesn't even look at harriet or speak to her he is only speaking directly to emma Mm -hmm. the whole time and yeah it's very very clear that he is like obsessed with her in like a creepy way and i say that because i go back to the christmas dinner scene because like he's there and, like, when Emma comes in, he's all like, oh, yes, hello, how are you? And then he, like, he has to be, like, right up next to her and, like, reaches across her to grab that wine, which that was really kind of funny. He's just like, ooh, wine. <laughs> and then he takes it. Like, his goofy face was just like, ooh. It's kind of funny. But at the dinner table, they're sitting next to each other. And he's, like, waiting for her to, like, take a sip of her soup so he can do it at the exact same time. And she's just, like, taking it, and then she realizes what happened, and she's just like, okay. But yeah, it's just like, he's, like, watching her! And I'm like, I can't get over this. And then the only thing he wants to talk about, or has the ability to talk about, is Enscombe, and how he hears that it is the pride of wherever they're at. He says it three times in the beginning of this film. Yep. (laughs) And then he kills the party talking about snow. Yep. And then he gets real creepy because, oh, and can I just point out that the whole, like, everybody getting into carriages kind of thing is really kind of funny. Yeah. Especially when John and George Knightley are standing there, like, and John is just like, okay, good. My wife's gone. She's handled. She's with her dad. Okay. How the heck am I getting out of here? (laughs) And Knightley's just like, just, just come with me. It's okay. And John Knightley's just kind of like, like, does not compute, don't quite know what to do. He has such so a delicate like, situation, go. as you know. He's he's on death's door, practically, Mr. John Knightley is. <laughs> yeah, so we're just like, okay, let's go, and just, like, moves him across. <laughs> and then Emma walks out, and she's just like, what the fuck? Everybody left me. <laughs> and then Mr. Elton walks out, and she's, like, the look on her face and her just, like, body language is just like, oh, damn it. Here we go. <laughs> So then they get in the carriage and Emma is just like, oh, you know, being quiet. And Mr. Elton like moves and like lunges at Emma on accident, which, okay, yeah, I get it. It was a lurch because it was the camera. It was the carriage. The carriage stopped and yeah, it was a lurch. Yeah. But what was really creepy is when he untied his clothes. Yeah, that was so creepy. And he's just like looking at her and just is like untying. And then he like holds the, the like strings and it's just like. 
I don't know if he was trying to be sexy. It's like. Or what, but it was so creepy. It was very like evil villain is going to tie her to the train tracks next. It was like, <laughs> ew. That's what mm-hmm. it was. It was just, ew. Mm-hmm. Ow. And then he confesses his love. And when she is like, uh, no, he gets so whiny and angry that he starts pounding or he's like, stop the carriage. And Emma's like, oh, come on. You know, which is a legit thing. It's snowing and, you know, you shouldn't have to walk. And he's just like, stop the carriage. And he's banging at the top of the thing. And I'm just like, that's where I just saw Prince Charles from The Crown. He went from zero to 60, like, really quick. (laughs) Which, if you watch The Crown, that is exactly how he plays Prince Charles. So, like, in my head, I'm just seeing it as, like, Emma is Diana. He's Prince Charles. Prince Charles gets a little angry and he's just like throwing a fit and needs to get the frick away. And that's just all I saw. And it was really hard for me to not see that. (laughs) But like, that was actually like kind of a scary moment the way he goes from zero to 60. So like in last week's episode, when we were both like, oh yeah, he's totally a serial killer. Like, that is proof. <laughs> he is totally this close to being a serial killer. Like, seriously, that was scary. The carriage scene is always so uncomfortable no matter what. Because, like, when you compare it to Clueless in the car, you get the same creepy vibes. I remember when I watched the Gwyneth Paltrow one, and I've only seen it once, and I only saw, like, the first part of it, like, ages and ages ago. And, like, I got to the part with the carriage scene, and I felt uncomfortable. Even at that time when I didn't really know what was going on, like, I was like, Mm -hmm. I am uncomfortable. Oh, wait. Isn't, in Clueless, doesn't he leave her, like, randomly in a parking lot? She gets out of the car because he's, like, low-key forcing himself on her. Not even low-key, he's Mm -hmm. forcing himself on her, Mm -hmm. and she's like, no. And he's like, come on. She's like, ugh. And she gets out, and he's like, get in. Come on, just get in. She's like, no, go away. And then he's like, fine. And then he leaves her in, like, a really shady part of the city. Thinking about this and how it felt like a dangerous situation, that in Clueless is definitely a dangerous situation. No matter the adaptation, the carriage scene is always just it just always makes me uncomfortable, no matter what. Even though he, like, gets out, freaks out, like, the everything leading up to it is so cringy. Him professing his love and her facial expressions and saying no and him keeping going is so creepy. Don't like that. Don't like that kind of stuff. No. No. But again, gold stars to Anya Taylor-Joy for her facial expressions. Yes. <laughs> So that is the first set section of this adaptation. <laughs> and eventually we get Frank, who Katrina doesn't like. And by it. We get the dancing, mm-hmm. which is nice. Um, again, our main heroine is wearing white because apparently that's just how you do it. Um, did anybody else notice that Harriet and Mrs. Elton are wearing the same color? Mm-mm. They are wearing the same color. They both have dark hair. But Harriet has a very nice, like, less trimmed down look. Or less, sorry. Harriet has, like, a less trimmed look, which is what Mrs. Elton was talking about with Jane Fairfax when she's just like, oh, do I have too many adornments? My style is a lot less than this, but I'm expected to wear something like this. So that's, like, indicating that, like, Mrs. Elton prefers to look more like Harriet 
because that's like what Harriet's dress looks like. But we all know that Mrs. Elton isn't like that. But I just think that it's really interesting because obviously like Mr. Elton won't dance with Harriet and there's that whole thing with between them. And she is essentially wearing like a modest version of what his wife is wearing. (laughs) I just think that that's really interesting. interesting. Also, like this scene where Mr. Knightley like walks over and like asks Harriet to dance was just like, oh, yeah, I love that. I got teary-eyed. I got teary-eyed there for sure. And then watching them dance and just, like, be friends. Because, like, again, like, dancing back then was less just dancing one-on-one with a person and just dancing with the whole group. Mm -hmm. Because, like, you're spending just as much time, like, dancing with the other people as you are dancing one-on-one. And I really felt that when, like, Emma was trying to have a conversation with Frank. And, like, so, like, in Pride and Prejudice, Elizabeth and Darcy have this whole conversation. And the way they filmed it makes it look as if, like, like literally, they're the only people in the room and they're having this conversation and they're not worried about the other people around them. But in this film, it becomes very clear that, like, Emma's trying to have this conversation with Frank, but, like, they can't because they keep getting separated and other people are nearby and Frank is very clearly uncomfortable with having the conversation where other people can hear because the conversation ends. He has, like, one thing, he's just like, oh, no, 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 hang on. And then they're, like, walking, like, walking to the other people, so. When I was watching the ballroom scene, I noticed that, like, when Frank and Emma do their dance, like, yeah, you get the thing, like, where they want to talk, they're going to try to talk, but it's, like, awkward, you know, they do mm-hmm. get separated. But even, like, the way they, like, hold each other when they're dancing or, like, come together to meet, it also feels very awkward, even at the end. Like, you just mm-hmm. get this vibe that it's like, this is weird. We have no chemistry, right? Mm-hmm. And then Emma and Knightley dance, and it is like, oh, they got lots of chemistry, and they don't need to talk. They they don't need to talk. They're just going to, like, look into each other's eyes, and Knightley is going to be, like, brooding but handsome and rugged and, like, but also I feel like delicate. Delicate. No, like the brooding look, because he like gets that oh. like, fr- like look into her eyes with like the furrowed brow and then like I'm a serious, sexy, handsome man kind of look. I don't know. I just like saw it, and the- but then he's like really delicate with his hands and like holding her, and like you cut to the scene where his hand is on her waist and her hand is on top of his, and it's like very delicate. So it's like a cool juxtaposition, like mm-hmm. between like the intensity of his looks. Like the softness of holding her when they're dancing, and it's just like they're in love. Now let's remember that, like, this dancing scene isn't actually in the book. No, because this dancing scene is very much the building of the romance. Yes, part of this adaptation. Like, we get all of these looks from Knightley to Emma, and Emma doesn't necessarily pick on or pick them up as much. Um, but we can definitely tell that Knightley has a thing for Emma and Emma has this weird relationship with Knightley in the adaptation. Like when she is like pacing around and then she sees him walking down the, like walking up to the house and she goes over and like plays the piano just to make it look like she was doing something important. So it doesn't look like she was just sitting around. Did you get that? You look very, it's right at the beginning. I believe you. Okay. Coming from the girl who's watched it twice and she doesn't remember this scene. (laughs) But so, like, <clears throat> Emma clearly wants to impress Knightley, but I don't necessarily know if it's because she loves him, which is definitely what we're going to, 
like she realizes at the end but it's very clear from the beginning that Knightley has a thing for Emma and then this dance happens and this is where we really start to see that chemistry and really feel the romance but again it's not in the book and again we don't feel this romance in the book (laughs) like the book it's just a cut to black yeah so I really that's that's why this movie feels more like a romance than the book does agree um, yes, now yeah. I recall the scene you're talking about um, at the beginning when she looks mm-hmm. out and she sees him. I think she's rushing to the piano not to, like, impress him, but just to be like, oh, see, I do do stuff. I do I do improve myself. I do occupy my time wisely. Well, so, yeah, but she wants to show him that she is also accomplished. Because yeah. remember, like, even though Jane Fairfax isn't there right then, like, it's still this rivalry, this competition yeah. that's there. So, yeah. yeah. I read it as more like, oh, I should go do this to make it look like I'm actually doing things. Yeah, that's exactly how I, <laughs> yeah, how I felt too. Yeah, because because Knightley is coming over because mm-hmm. she wanted to impress him specifically. Mm-hmm. But but yeah, no, I definitely felt the romance with the dancing and then him running after her at the end yes. was also very romantic and everything like that. And we really see him being like, like realizing like I really love Emma. I need to make this happen. I can't sit around and not doing anything anymore. And Emma, it's, it kind of feels more like she's like starting to realize it. And that when he comes to the door, she runs downstairs and she's just like, like, I feel like to me, it was almost like she like instinctually knew what was happening. Like she was like, he's going to confess his love to me and I'm okay with this, but she didn't really realize it because I feel like once he actually does it or like, when like there's the idea that he is in love with somebody else i think that's when she really comes to the realization that she does have strong feelings for him mm-hmm. so i agree yeah yeah um uh, can we also talk about uh the non-verbal like rivalry between frank and knightley yes but they're always like standing next to each other yes. and like yeah especially when harriet is brought to hartfield's after she swoons gypsies and like when frank churchill spins her around like that knightley has to duck and emma has to like back away like the physical comedy is just so good it was like several (laughs) times it's like outside inside where he's gonna put her Mm -hmm. down like it was really funny and then she is just like making these noises like and it's just so funny and like they get her shoe off and knightley is like I'm not a doctor, but I'm going to look at it. And she's like, ha, ha, ha. Like, it sounds like she's going to have orgasm. (laughs) What is happening? But, (laughs) again, and, like, cutting back to, like, more past Jane Austen adaptations, like, it felt very much like Emma Thompson's Sense and Sensibility when Willoughby whips off Marianne's shoe to see if her ankle's broken. She's like, oh, my God, what? Like, oh. I don't know. It's just like, I guess looking at ankles is very sexy. <laughs> it's like a sexy thing for back then. Oh, man. Yeah, Harriet at that point was just ridiculous and hilarious. It and was I loved very it. funny. Yeah, I really loved it too. Yeah. So, um, let's see. What happens next? We have Donwell Abbey. Mm hmm. The visit where we get uh, another Austin heroine oogling some marble statues for no reason. Yep. Um, <laughs> not in a weird way like it was in Pride and Prejudice, though. <laughs> there wasn't like a statue of Knightley just like hanging out 
and then after that, we go to Box Hill. Yes. Which apparently, big fans of Emma who've watched adaptations and read the book, apparently saying Box Hill is very triggering, so I apologize. Oh. Uh, because it's so awkward. It is. Especially in this, I mean, I haven't seen any other ones to that point. So, mm-hmm. but this, like, it was cringy. I had to watch it twice, you guys. <laughs> okay, you didn't have to. <laughs> I didn't have to, though. And it was cringy both times. It's just, yeah, like, we all know what happens at Box Hill. And Frank is being a dick. And Emma just says what's on her mind, and it just comes out of her mouth. And, like, the instant reaction and regret is very obvious in this adaptation. Yeah. And I think that Anya Taylor-Joy does a great job of, of doing that. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to say it again. She has a really expressive face. Uh, She acts with her face. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, I just think that it was such a great job. And I, the woman who plays Miss Spates... I love her. Great. I love her. She's yeah. uh, She's in Call the Midwife. If anybody watches that, and she's equally and amazingly fantastic in Call the Midwife. She's so awesome. Yeah, yeah. She was really good. Mm -hmm. I haven't seen Call the Midwife, but I freaking loved her in this. And she really made Mrs. Bates or sorry, Miss Bates less annoying. Mm -hmm. You know, she. She played the part well, and we were supposed to feel like she's annoying, but she's not nearly as bad as she is in the book. Mm-hmm. And I think that she did a really good job with that and kind of made me love Miss Bates a little bit. Mm-hmm. And it really, really drove home, like, how badly Emma hurt her. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like the apology scene that comes after that with Emma does a much better job of showing that Emma is actually upset at what she did and in a way better shows Miss Bates kind of accepting that apology without either one of them needing to actually say anything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it really does feel like they're okay at the end. Yeah. Which we, I I don't feel like I necessarily got that from the book as much, but that might just be because we needed to see it. Yeah. Instead of reading it. Yeah. So. Um, I liked how Knightley was very passionate when mm-hmm. he's, like, scolding her for what she said to Miss Bates. Like, I know we get it in the book, but, like, it's so different seeing it acted out and with, like, mm-hmm. such passion. Yeah, and and the way Emma... Sorry, let me rephrase that. And The way Anya Taylor-Joy plays Emma in that scene is very good, too, because she feels like... So you know when you've done something bad... And people are calling it out and like, you know, you did something bad, but you still don't want people to like call you out. So you get really defensive Mm -hmm. and you kind of become a brat. That's exactly what happens here. So Emma knows she did something bad and she's mad that Knightley is talking down to her about it. But instead of being like, no, I know, I understand, I understand. She's going to defend what she said. Mm -hmm. And she like stands up and she like kind of yells back at him a little bit. And she just sounds like a brat. And it was just perfectly done. Yeah. And then, like, when she sits back down and she just starts crying, and then she just yells at the carriage guy, like, go! It's just, like, it was done. Yeah. And the cam- the way it was, that scene was filmed, or that part with Emma and the carriage, and how you feel, like, the carriage move, that was really well done, too. Yeah. So. Yeah, kudos on not just, like, the actors, but, like, kudos on the crew and, like, the way it was filmed, like, Mm-hmm. 
so good. And like the set designer, like it oh my god felt like a pastel dream. It was like springtime. Even at Christmas, it still felt like spring. Like mm-hmm. I I love the colors. Mm-hmm. It's so good. Everything about this film just felt really right. Yeah. Like the way they did the transitions, like I, I think that was Mrs. Bates' wallpaper. Yeah. And like having the different things and like having that darkness contrast to then like Hartfield's brightness. Mm-hmm. How much everybody was outside, uh, the costuming and the color choices. Yeah. Like the when you're in the fall, Emma is definitely wearing more of the fall tones in terms of her accessories mm-hmm. while keeping her outfit the white with colors underneath yep. it and um i hate umpire waist stuff so a lot of the like true to the time regency clothing sometimes bothers me uh especially like in that pride and prejudice uh mini series it bothered the heck out of me <laughs> so much there were certain outfits that bothered me in this film uh I loved the use of the longer coats yeah. that they were using in a lot of scenes. And the fact that Emma's clothes, it had the umpire waist, but there were like different ways that the fabric was draped mm-hmm. that made it look nice and didn't make it look like she was just like a pair of giant tits and then like like a straight body, which is what which what Pride and Prejudice the miniseries felt like. It felt like tits and then nothing. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> Whereas this, it felt nice and it felt romantic and it felt like flowy and clean and well cut. And it just, I really enjoyed the the costuming. Can I just talk about Emma's outfit in the first time they're at the Haberdashers with Harriet and she has that long yellow overcloak mm-hmm. and she has the black and yellow hat and there's like little black accents. Mm-hmm. So reminiscent of Cher from Clueless. <laughs> yeah so yeah, and i'm like to the point where i'm like is this purposeful like i was seeing all these little things in this first like 20 minutes of the movie i'm like is this purposeful are they purposefully hearkening to and i was like nah it's just probably my brain really wanting it to be that but no. well so while we were live reacting um a couple of people on instagram kept messaging us and saying things like um, oh, the director said this about this. The director said this about that. Or here's the interview and stuff like that. So I actually do want to go back and like look at some of the interviews with the director and see about stuff like that. Because uh, the one major important scene that we have yet to talk about yet uh, is the nightly butt incident. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently, uh, according to somebody who sent us on uh, Instagram, I apologize, I don't have your name in front of me. They said that that scene was put in not only because we have yet to see a man dressing, historical dressing scene, but also because the director felt like Knightley was very mansplainy and uh, she still wanted the audience to like him. So she put in his naked body <laughs> so that we enjoyed him. <laughs> or like we feel like sorry for him because his naked, we know what he's like under his clothes. Like he's just like everybody else. I mean, he. are you saying he's not an attractive looking no, man? I, no, not at all. I'm just like, it's like bringing him down to like our level because like, yeah, if he's like mansplainy and like rich and has this great house and like blah, 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 we, you know, you might like interpret him differently, but you see him naked and you're like, oh, okay. He's just a regular dude. 
I mean, that could be the case. I didn't listen to the interview, but in my brain, it's more like, a, oh, well, here's this guy who comes off as mansplainy, which I mean, like, I didn't feel I didn't feel like he was I didn't, too mansplainy. I didn't either. Especially in the adaptation. In the book, I can see why. Mm-hmm. But like, so it's like, OK, he's going to rub you the wrong way a little bit. I apologize. Here's a sexy picture of him. And so you can think <laughs> about that sexiness instead of the mansplaininess. Huh. So. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. So, but yeah, there's just full on butt. And it's like, I don't know about you, Katrina, but I have yet to see a butt that looks that good um, in real life. So <laughs> when you're like, bring him down to a real everyday person level, that was a really nice butt. No pimples, nothing like that. <laughs> and then we got a little bit of Anya Taylor-Joy side butt. Yes. Yes. Which, um, again, I mentioned before. I'm from Chicago. I'm used to cold. Having like or being cold and then just like standing next to the fire like that and like lifting up your skirt. I can totally see that. That is just like, oh, I have to stand here. Okay, well, I might as well warm my tushy. (laughs) (laughs) That was the most realistic thing in this entire movie. (laughs) So let's talk about the actual marriage proposal. Yeah, because we got one. Yeah, like we mentioned before that like in Austin novels, it feels like there's confessions of love and the ideas of, oh, let's get married. And those proposals don't ever really work. But then you have these other proposals where it's less of a, hey, marry me kind of situation. And those ones always work out. And I'm like, I want somebody to just be like, will you marry me and have it work out? And this adaptation gave it to me. Knightley is flat out like, will you marry me? And Emma's just like, at first she's like, nosebleed. no, I can't do that. No. First she's yeah. like, nosebleed. And then she's like, no. <laughs> I mean, it was still kind of a yes. Because, like, What's it that? wasn't really a no. So here's the thing. Because, because it was more of a, I have to do this thing first. But otherwise it's totally going to be a yes. I just have to do this thing first. Yeah, but That's she, how I read it. She didn't say that. And, like, so, like. Her nose starts bleeding. She's like, no, no, no. You're in love with Harry. And then he explains, no, I was trying to get her to like Martin again. Oh, I'll go, I'll go talk to Martin. She's like, no, I'll, I'll do it. And then she goes and does it. And he's like, yes. And I'm like, dude, she didn't say yes yet. Like, she has to go do the thing. Like, you're acting like she said yes. She didn't say yes yet. But I feel like she did also. Okay. She did also kind of say yes. That's how I felt. Like, that's how I interpreted it. But yeah, the nosebleed thing was really weird. It was like all the stress yeah. and like yeah. shock and she just popped a blood vessel. Yeah, I'm like, I literally was like, is her brain melting? And then <laughs> I was also like, she's melting. wearing white. She's wearing white. She's wearing white. Oh, shit, shit, shit. She's wearing white. <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but sometimes when I get a nosebleed, like, it just goes straight onto my shirt, <laughs> like, before I even notice it. And she's just like, uh, nose is bleeding. And I'm just like, it's going to drop on her shirt. It's going to drop on her shirt. <laughs> I felt her yes came when, like, it's the end and they're sitting in the drawing room and Knightley's like, do you feel a draft? And Mr. Woodhouse is like, oh, crap, get all my screens just so he can, like, be alone with Emma. <laughs> and I'm like, this is what it's going to be like after they get married and live together. And he wants uh-huh. some alone time. He's like, do you feel a draft? <laughs> um, anyway. <laughs> Bring in the screens. <laughs> I felt like that's where the yes came. Like, it came at that point. I mean, that was the definite yes. Yeah. For sure. But I feel like there was definitely an understanding of, like, yeah, it was let me do this thing with Robert Martin and Harriet first. and then. Yes. Which I love in this movie that Emma fixes it. Mm -hmm. I love Mm -hmm. that she goes with the goose 
I like the drawing and gives it to Robert Martin. I love the scene where he's outside waiting and Harriet's like leaving Hartfield like, oh, the kiss. And it's just mm-hmm. so cute. Like I, I said before when we were talking about the book, like I wish we had seen Robert Martin and Harriet there coming back together instead of it happening in London because there's a dentist and a note that didn't actually say anything. Uh, yeah, I'm sticking with that. Uh, <laughs> but I, I'm really glad that we got to see it here. Mm-hmm. We got, you know, him seeing Emma and Emma explaining that, you know, like I did something really bad and I'm sorry. And here's my apology. Please. If you essentially like, if you still feel this way, go. And if not, here's this really pretty drawing of a lady that you might have married at one point. <laughs> But then he's just like, he's just like, okay. And then it happens. And Harriet is super excited. And well, Harriet is really mad, but then she's also excited. And then they kind of make up. And just that whole scene is really lovely. And again, really enforces that friendship. Mm -hmm. But then, yeah, when we see Harriet and Mr. Martin, like, kiss and then, like, walk down to the field and then they're together at the church. Yeah. It's just like, aww. It's really cute. And, like, you can see that he really likes her. Yeah. Like, the way he looks at her and, like, his little smile is, yeah. Yeah. It's adorable. Loved Mm -hmm. it. I loved it. Loved it Mm -hmm. so much. Yeah. (sighs) One person we didn't really talk about was the guy who played Mr. Weston, and I thought he did a really great job being Mr. Weston. I really liked him. We also didn't talk about the fact that Mrs. Weston is Yara Greyjoy, which is probably a good and or bad thing. She did a really good job being Mrs. Like, like I said, I believed all of them, except mm-hmm. I didn't really believe Frank. But I believed everybody else, and I really <laughs> liked everyone else. I thought they all played their parts really, really perfectly. Yeah, yeah. And I think that the way that this adaptation showed the characters and showed their personalities, despite cutting a lot of the stuff that was in the book, did a really good job of really fleshing them out. Mm-hmm. And again, you add that like comedy aspect. You add like you know, the the like little romance things like them like frank and emma kind of dancing around those chairs and then mr and mrs weston doing it and you really see them together and it's just really cute also um we actually see mrs weston being pregnant Mm -hmm. which is great however we don't see a baby yeah the baby's in the church at the end is okay okay well i will say that the one thing that they left out that i'm really glad they did was all of that really weird talk about how like Yep. Knightley is so much yep. older than Emma and the whole conversation with the baby. And he did say something about like, Emma hasn't wanted to read since she was 12. And I'm just like, shh, shh, don't mention that you've known her since she was 12 because you were in your 20s. <laughs> yeah, but like the actor, like, yeah, maybe I, I do remember that line, but it felt like he wasn't saying it as if he knew her when she was 12. He was just like saying it like in general because he didn't feel really old to me. Right. So they don't really say their ages. He felt like he um, was in his 30s to me. I mean, he is older than Anya Taylor-Joy. Um, so... <clears throat> Anya Taylor Joy is twenty five, and Johnny Flynn is older than us. He's thirty eight. Hmm. So, so he, he is knightly age. Yeah, he didn't feel like it. I feel like the guy who was playing John Knightley definitely felt older than Mister Knightley. He is older. The guy who played John Knightley is about like four years older than Mister Knightley. Okay. <laughs> It just felt like 
when I was reading the book, like, the guy who played Weston is kind of, I pictured, like, a younger version of him for Knightley, like, a little bit younger than him, and then, like, so, I don't know, maybe I'm just a really bad judge at, like, people's ages. No, I know I am. I know I'm a bad judge at people's <laughs> ages. I know I am. But, like, the yeah. Knightley felt younger to me. I don't know. Well, I didn't, I, what I'm, what I'm trying to say is I didn't feel that weird, like, I'm 13 years older than you or whatever, and I've known you since you were 12, and now this is kind of a weird thing because we're getting married. I didn't feel that in this adaptation, yeah. and I'm really glad I didn't because we got more of the romance in this. Mm-hmm. And if I did get that feeling in this adaptation, it would have made the romance really feel awkward. Yeah. So I'm glad. But, like, people who've read Emma and know will know that, yes, Emma is significantly younger than Knightley, and... While the actors are approximately the correct age, like Anya Taylor-Joy is only a few years older than what Emma would be in the books, like, it isn't blatantly obvious, and it's, I I think it just works. They did a really good job of it. So, like, if you're aware, cool. You can still see it. If you're not aware, it doesn't bother you. Yeah, the age difference was more prevalent in the book than in the movie. A lot more prevalent. To the point where, like, they bring it up almost all the time. Like, you're supposed to know that there's a big age difference. Yeah. And that wasn't the case here. Mm-hmm. So, but again, like, a, a, like you can see them acting, like, nightly acting more mature than Emma and stuff, which, again, it's an adaptation, so you should be able to do that. Yeah. Yeah. So, when Knightley sings, and then the song at the credits, that's all Johnny Flynn. Mm-hmm. He's, like, a folk singer. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Which is, like, crazy. I didn't know that. And now I kind of want to look him up. Yeah. But, yeah. Now that you got to that, let's really quick end this with the music, because that was the one thing we haven't talked about that I do want to talk about um, really quick. And that's just, like, I love how the music is, like, Italian opera at one point. And then it's, like, the scene when Harriet meets Mr. Martin in the shop after she's rejected him, that very much sounds like the opening to the movie Up, Disney's Up. Oh, yeah. It sounded, like, just like it. I was like, this is adorable. I love, like, I don't know what to call it because I know it's British, but it felt very tent revival. Those, like, <laughs> those um hymns that, but it was, like, <laughs> very tent revival type (laughs) love me some jesus like that's what it sounded like and i but i really liked it and yeah i just i really liked the music i liked how it was woven in and how it was very different but it still worked together and then at the end there's like the song that it almost sounds like it's going to be a bob dylan song but it's like a folk song that a woman sings and i just really liked it yeah I know this movie was from last year, so it's already kind of gone through award season from what I know. I don't know if this movie has actually won any awards, but in my heart, it won a lot. Mm-hmm, same. <laughs> like acting, scenery, costumes, music, directing, like, uh, it was so good. Like everything was great. I freaking loved this adaptation. And I, I personally can't wait to watch it again. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to lie. Uh, 
it's a really good one. And, I, and this one is definitely going to be a film that I go back to, especially because I had to buy it on Amazon in order to watch it for this. So <laughs> I did rent it, but I would buy it. Like after I watched it through the second time, I'm like, I would own this. I want to, this is one that I want to own. And mm-hmm. I'm very particular about my yeah. Jane Austen film adaptations. <laughs> and so I'm very excited. Well, so then let's end with this question. Okay. So we know from our previous episodes that you preferred the BBC miniseries over the 2005 Pride and Prejudice. Would you say that you prefer that over Emma or Emma over the miniseries? I can't compare them because this is Pride and Prejudice and this is Emma. If I saw an Emma miniseries, I would, I could compare them. Okay. Well then do you feel like you enjoyed Emma over the 2005 film? Yes. Okay. Okay. I still love Pride and Prejudice more, but I think that that's just a bit of bias because that is one of my favorites, but it is a very, very, very close second. So yeah, I think both films did a great job. Yeah. So I feel like this Emma 2020 film really followed the book well. Mm -hmm. Maybe not in tone. I feel no, like but I like this liked tone it. better. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like if if Emma was meant to be a romance, it would look like this. Mm-hmm. If Emma was supposed to be a comedy, it would look like this. Mm-hmm. Like you know how I kept comparing like things in Emma to like Shakespeare mm-hmm. and how I felt like Emma needed to be a play. This is a Shakespearean comedy version of Emma. Yeah, that's what this is. Like it feels like a Shakespeare comedy play. So if that's what Austin was going for, this film really showed it. And I don't know if you, we could get the feelings that we got from this film from a text in the same way. So I'm not dissing, not dissing the original text. I'm just saying I don't think we could have gotten the same feeling from both. So, yeah. Well, so we get to compare this to other Emma adaptations next week. So we're going to take a look at the 97 seven. The 97 adaptation. Yep. We're going to um, put the Gwyneth Paltrow American version up against the Kate Beckinsale British version. Is that right? I think so. All right. See how I mesh up. My prediction is that one or both of them is going to be more like the book. My prediction is that neither one of them are going to be as good as this film. Well, yeah. <laughs> so. Okay. Well, that is everything for us. Um, make sure you check us out on our Instagram for a bunch of fun stuff. If you have yet to check out our reactions to the live uh, or our live reactions to the film, they are in our story highlights. Um, also, make sure you go back and uh, check out the book that we talked about at the beginning of this episode. And we will see you guys next time. Beyond Measure is hosted by me, Katrina Mayer, and me, Elle Kammerer. We're part of the Frolic Podcast Network. 
Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Our music was composed by Shane Ivers, and our artwork was created by the beautiful and talented Katie Keneally. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts, or you can find us on our website at withbeyondmeasure.com, or follow us on Instagram for all of our updates, memes, and just fun stuff. Our handle is at WBMpodcast. I'm going to say that again. It's WBMpodcast.